You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Falato on Football here on the Big Blue View Radio Network. I am the host of the show, Nicholas Falato, and today we're only going to be breaking down the AFC East. After this episode, I'll probably fit in two drafts from two divisions. NFC, AFC North, that kind of thing. But since we already went through the NFC East, the Giants division, we're just going to focus on the AFC East. There were quite a few picks for a lot of these teams. The Jets had 10, Patriots had 8, Dolphins had 7, Buffalo had 8. So we're going to go through this AFC East draft. And I think the best place to start is within the Big Apple, the New York football Jets, who obviously are under new leadership i guess you could say this is joe douglas's second draft he had a solid first draft but now adam gaze is no longer there to possibly hold this franchise back they bring in robert sala who was the defensive coordinator from the san francisco 49ers here to be the head coach along with mike lafleur to be the offensive coordinator who obviously has ties to his brother matt lafleur who has ties to kyle shanahan who comes from San Francisco. So we're looking at an offense that may have a lot more stretch zone, outside zone type of running concepts, like to use multiple running backs, probably going to incorporate some RPOs, which fits the first overall pick skill set well, at least it should, or at least it should assist him in transitioning from a program like BYU into the NFL. Because that first selection, the second pick of the NFL draft was Zach Wilson. And Zach Wilson, look, he's smaller. And I think that could be a problem if he's taking hits. That's why it's imperative for the Jets to protect him. Zach Wilson is somebody who you just bank on his arm talent. He has phenomenal arm talent. He can throw off platform. He puts a lot of touch on the ball. He has an incredible arm ability to push the ball vertically as well. So you look at some of the throws he makes and and you get the appeal. I sometimes am hesitant with players like Zach Wilson, a player who really only has one quality year of college tape against subpar college competition outside of the Power Five, which is BYU. But the guy throws a beautiful pass. Now, it has to be a priority for Joe Douglas and the Jets to protect Zach Wilson because this is not what the previous Jets regime did for Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, he could throw off platform. He had one heck of an arm. His footwork was a little wonky at times. He was mistake prone. But he had a lot of traits that would lead one to believe that he could be a foundational piece, a quarterback that can lead an NFL franchise. But he was never surrounded with talent. His offensive line was a wreck. His play caller was horrendous. So now you bring in Mike LaFleur, and you hope that he can instill an offense similar to what Kyle Shanahan and what Matt LaFleur do in San Francisco and Green Bay, respectively. And you hope that Zach Wilson will be able to be protected. And that's where Elijah Vera Tucker comes in, who was selected with the 14th pick in the first round. The Jets traded up to get him. And a lot of people kind of criticize that. Why would you trade up and waste draft capital to get an offensive guard? Well, 
The Jets put themselves into position to have draft capital to make these types of moves. And you look at the left side of that offensive line now, you have Elijah Vera Tucker at left guard, and then you have big Makai Becton at left tackle. You want to talk about protecting Zach Wilson. You want to talk about protecting the future of your franchise. The guy that you just shipped Sam Darnold out of town to reset that quarterback clock. One way to do that is to get him guys like Mekhi Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker. And this offensive line still, it's not a great product right here. I mean, Connor McGovern is solid, but you have Greg Van Roten possibly starting at right guard with Alex Lewis as his as his competition. And then on the right side at tackle, you have George Font, who was overpaid last offseason. You have Chuma Odoga, who they drafted at a USC in the third round back in 2019. That's not necessarily a inspiring offensive line, but that left side is incredible right now. And Elijah Vera Tucker, very, very versatile. He can play right guard if you need him to. He can also play tackle, which is what he proved at USC. Yeah, his arms are pretty short for a tackle, but you added a really good football player there. And I like the aggressiveness that Joe Douglas showed to go and get his guy. And he still had 10 picks in this class. I'm not going to knock him for trying to protect the investment that they just made in a player like Zach Wilson. That's what this is. You got to protect the quarterback and you also got to establish the run. And I think another way to protect the quarterback is with a receiver. And what the Jets did with Elijah Moore, they got him with the second pick in the second round. And I think that is excellent. Elijah Moore was, I think, my fifth ranked receiver coming into this class. I think he was criminally underrated because he's a little bit undersized, but he's going to make an excellent slot receiver. He's going to compete with Jameson Crowder, but he doesn't have to be always used in the slot. You can do so many different things. And there's going to be some move the pocket plays. Zach Wilson, you get him on the run. You can have Elijah Moore just coming underneath defenders on play action bootlegs. You can get, like I said, Zach Wilson move the pocket. You can just leak Elijah Moore out, get him into space, get the football in his hands. He can make people miss. He also has good contact balance. He's a really, really talented football player that the Jets added right here who can really operate not just around the line of scrimmage, but he can also attack vertically. And I think he complements the addition of Corey Davis well, because Corey Davis comes from that Tennessee offense where Arthur Smith made a living using play action and then attacking downfield vertically. Corey Davis did well there. And I think Elijah Moore is going to be that excellent complement in the intermediate and underneath portions. While also, like I said, he can go vertical if asked to. He's an incredible route runner with sure hands as well. So really love the Elijah Moore addition. And I do like how this offense is kind of coming together. It still needs pieces. Like I said, I'm concerned about the right side of that offensive line. And I think the running back situation is, isn't is great. But in the fourth round of the 2021 draft, they added somebody who I think can really help take it to the next level. Now, they didn't have a third round pick. They traded up for Elijah Vera Tucker. But with the second pick, in the third day of the draft, Michael Carter was sitting there, and I did not expect him to be sitting there, but this is just a lightning rod at running back who does an excellent job hitting the hole with burst, excellent vision, getting himself into space, and then making people miss in space. He was a compliment to Javante Williams at the University of North Carolina, and I think he's going to fit really well with what Matt Laf- or Mike LaFleur, I'm sorry, what Mike LaFleur wants to do for this offense. You can stretch him vertically, has the vision, the decisiveness to plant that outside foot in the ground and explode through tight seams and then make the alley defender miss. I think this is an excellent addition for the New York Jets. And you look at the running back room, you have LaMichael P. Ryan. It's going into his second year. You brought in Tevin Coleman. It's looking like you're probably going to use P. Ryan and Carter as a one-two punch. You still have Josh Adams on the roster, Ty Johnson, the kid from Detroit last year who had a little run with the Jets as well. So I really love the value of landing someone like Michael Carter for the New York Jets here. 
Later in the draft, they actually ended up getting another Michael Carter II, who was a Duke safety. And I feel like a lot of their picks later in the draft are guys who have high upside who might be a little bit raw right now, specifically Michael Carter II and then Hamza Nazaruldeen, who is a safety from Florida State. I feel like a lot of these Florida State kids never really reach their full potential because, the, and I mentioned this on the podcast before, but because they're, they just didn't have the coaching foundation there to maximize the five-star athletes that they get. And Nazarul Dean, he's somebody who is big, he's physical, and he's long. And you think about what the what the San Francisco 49ers did last year with Robert Sala, and now they bring in Jeff Ulbrich to be their defensive coordinator. And he has some time at Atlanta, and Atlanta ran some similar coverages. They ran a lot of cover three with Dan Quinn, but remember when Dan Quinn was let go, that defense took a step forward. And that was also because Jeff Ulbrich went from being an assistant head coach to a defensive coordinator once Quinn was let go. The defense stabilized a bit, and we expect the Jets to run a lot of quarters type of coverages. And when you're a quarters team, you don't necessarily need the range, the elite type of range and hip fluidity to to cover because there's going to be four deep defenders. And I think Nazaruldine kind of fits in well to be somebody who could possibly earn snaps here. And you can also bring him down in the box. He can play that star position because he is good against the run and he brings a high level of physicality. So I think landing him in the sixth round is a high upside swing for the Jets. I think that's really, really good value. And if it doesn't work out, you probably have a really good special teamer as long as he's coachable because he's also really, really long and he has some really interesting explosive characteristics. And the Jets also got Jamie Sherwood. I don't really know too much about him out of Auburn safety in the fifth round. Jason Pinnock, cornerback out of Pittsburgh, another high upside swing. Brandon Eccles, cornerback out of Kentucky. And the Jonathan Marshall, defensive tackle out of Arkansas to round this draft up. So that's 10 picks right there. You get possibly your franchise quarterback, a foundation on your offensive line at guard, both in the first round, a dynamic playmaker that I think a lot of people are going to know his name by year one, year two in Elijah Moore. And then Michael Carter, an excellent change of pace type of back who you can try to get 12 touches in his hands. Some on third down will be an excellent third down back and that you got him in day three so I think this is just overall a really solid draft for the New York Jets and like I said a lot of those upside swings if they can be developed by this coaching staff by Ulbrich by LaFleur by Salah then I think the Jets could be looking at this in two years and say wow that was one really nice draft but it really if we're going to be honest it's all going to come down to Zach Wilson if Zach Wilson flares out then ends up being a bust to be honest you need the quarterbacks to hit Joe Douglas saw his opportunity to reset that quarterback clock go out get his guy he did so so now it's going to be on Zach Wilson to live up to that standard Alrighty, let's head on over to the Buffalo Bills and see how they did in their draft and I mean they didn't pick until 30 and they land Gregory Rousseau somebody a lot of people mocked to going to the New York Giants early on in this process. But that's not what ended up happening. He ended up sliding down. I mean, the kid opted out. That did not help him. He only really had one year of college production. And if you look, what did he have? 600 snaps to his name in college. I mean, that's that's not a lot, to be honest. So you're banking on the traits here. And traits for someone like Gregory Rousseau is his incredible length, his initial quickness. He's not the best change of direction type of athlete. He's not going to consistently bend the edge, but he does have good stop-start ability and initial quickness. The guy has 11-inch hands. He's incredibly long. And I like the the conscious effort to upgrade their trenches in Buffalo. I mean, think about Buffalo in December. Incredibly cold. You want to be physical. You want to be tough up front. And you look at their depth chart, they already have a lot of good 
quality players on that defensive front. Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, they drafted A.J. Epinesa in the second round last year. They still have Ed Oliver playing defensive tackle, first round pick in 2019 out of Houston. You have Harrison Phillips. They bring in Star Lutulele, Vernon Butler, a couple former Carolina Panthers, guys who used to be with Dave Gettleman down there. But then you add Gregory Rousseau, another developmental piece, somebody with tons of upside for a defensive coach like Sean McDermott with Leslie Frazier as their defensive coordinator. And then in the second round, you bring in Carlos Boogie Basham, somebody who kind of fits that mold too. He's about 270 pounds. He may not be the longest guy for somebody with his dimensions, but he's definitely somebody who is very, very physical, has an incredible motor, plays a Played a ton of snaps at Wake Forest, heavy-handed type of guy, a senior bowl guy, and you add him to that front, I mean, they can have a really interesting rotation with this front four that Leslie Frazier is going to be able to use. So I think that was an interesting tactic from the Buffalo Bills to bring in Rousseau and then double down in the second round and get another edge rusher who fits that similar mold, similar weight, not obviously as long as Gregory Rousseau, but somebody who can come in and just be a nuisance as a pass rusher and can also set the edge and anchor down against the run game too. And then in the third round, the Bills went with Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa. Now this is a raw offensive tackle who is very, very long. He is six foot eight, 311 pounds. He has quick feet, good range, does well to get to his set points. And when you think about Brown, I mean, he went down to the senior bowl a little bit. He showed some flashes down there. He has these big, strong hands, and he does a good job kind of anchoring down, doesn't allow his high center of gravity to really be a huge vulnerability for him because obviously when you're six foot eight, sometimes you have bend issues. He actually showed the ability to bend, and the Bills wanted to definitely upgrade this offensive line so Josh Allen isn't running for his life, and I feel like they've done a pretty solid job doing that because you have Daryl Williams now. You have Deion Dawkins, who's been a really good addition for them since they drafted him back in 2017, and I want to say the second round. Still have Mitch Morse, John Feliciano. They kick Cody Ford from right tackle inside to play right guard is probably his better position coming out of Oklahoma back in 2019. They tried him out of tackle. He was solid. Kick him back inside, and now you're really solidifying your offensive line. Hopefully, they can establish more of a run game because it's like the Bills have just been non-existent as a running team with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. It's been pretty pathetic to watch, but it didn't really matter all that much last year because Josh Allen was able to put the team on his back and the rapport that he had with Steph Diggs was just phenomenal. And you look at this draft too, just in general, just talking about the philosophy of the Bills draft. They didn't necessarily add a lot of speed. You add Rousseau and Basham, those aren't necessarily speed guys. Spencer Brown, offensive lineman. Then you get Tommy Doyle, an offensive tackle out of the University of Miami of Ohio. And then you didn't really add speed until you get to day three. And Marquez Stevenson, who is a fast wide receiver, went down to the Senior Bowl. He went to the University of Houston. He's a Houston Cougar. And you get the speed from there. But you look at these wide receivers. I mean, you have speed with Stephon Diggs. Gabriel Davis isn't necessarily a speed guy. Zay Hodgins, not a exactly a speed guy either you're bringing Manny Sanders to compete with Cole Beasley in the slot neither of those guys are speed per se but Cole Beasley is definitely quick I would say and then neither of these running backs are exactly fast either Devin Singletary and Zach Moss I just thought it was interesting that they focus on power and it kind of harkens back to what I was saying a little bit before I mean this is a team that is expecting to probably 
win this division and once you get into December and January if you're hosting playoff games up in Buffalo good luck man <laughs> good luck you're, you're going to need to have a rotation you're going to need to be strong at the point of attack and you're going to need to be a physical front on both sides of the football and I feel like Buffalo has done a solid job getting them their roster to a point that they are going to be physical and then you have obviously Josh Allen who fits that bill entirely too well for them as somebody who has a strong arm and can throw through those powerful wins and can play in cold and disadvantageous situations but anyways back to these day three picks like I said Marquez Stevenson that was a six-round pick and then they had two more six-round picks and then a seventh round pick and the two more six-round picks are Damar Hamlin out of Pittsburgh Rashad Wild Goose out of Wisconsin who I know a lot of people who are very close with the Wisconsin program. They say this kid's going to have the ability to possibly kick inside and play slot for them. So that's a really interesting ad to get in the sixth round. I haven't watched too much film of him. I saw him a little bit back in 2019 when I was studying Zach Bond. And then in the seventh round, they get Jack Anderson, an offensive guard out of Texas Tech, just to add depth. I think Hamlin was somebody who went down to the Senior Bowl and actually had a really good week down there. Pittsburgh also runs a lot of quarter concepts similar to Sean McDermott, a lot of corner concepts, a lot of zone, a lot of split safety looks. And like I said, you don't need great range doing that but I actually think Hamlin is a player who does have some solid range for a safety who is six foot one 200 pounds it's a solid I would say sized safety it's not necessarily you know gigantic you're looking for guys who are 205 210 but this is somebody who can come downhill and be a really really tough defender does well with his run fits he ended up falling to the sixth round a lot of people thought he was going to be an early day three pick so that's a solid addition there from the Buffalo Bills and when you look at this just draft in general I'm not going to give grades or anything like that I would just say physicality is what they're doing and adding to their strength because one of their strengths and I know some of these guys are getting old with Jerry Hughes he's getting a little bit up there in age you obviously Star Lutulay, Leibert and Butler getting up there in age Mario Addison getting up there in age you have Ed Oliver and AJ Epinesa and even Harrison Phillips who aren't necessarily old but you still added value that Sean McDermott and Bean, their general manager, they feel at least value where they could get it with Gregory Rousseau and Boogie Basham. And <laughs> Gregory Rousseau, I mean, he was a part of the four of the last five picks in the first round that ended up being edge rushers. I mean, I think the first one that was taken there was Peyton Turner. I don't think a lot of people would have ended up thinking that was going to be the course of action. This draft is unpredictable, as we say, and that's why one of, one of the many reasons why we love it. All right, but before we get to the Patriots and the Dolphins, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Mac Jones doesn't end up going to the San Francisco 49ers, and he ended up falling to pick 15, where the New England Patriots didn't have to trade any assets to go and get him, and now he comes to New England and is Bill Belichick's future quarterback. I think this pick, look, it's one that a lot of people mocked early on in the cycle. It makes sense from the standpoint that, yeah, he's a quick processor, and Josh McDaniels runs a quick processing type of offense. But I I like this pick for, for another reason specifically. And I think Mac Jones, he does a good job throwing with anticipation, throwing receivers open, quickly getting off reads if it's not there and finding someone who is there based on what the defensive look is. But I like this because I think it affords the Patriots the opportunity to develop this quarterback in their system. And he might not even play in this year. If Cam Newton steps in year one and Cam Newton is, say, reforms himself to 2015 type of Cam Newton, which I don't necessarily see happening, He's going to be a free agent next year, and he might be play himself out of the price range of what the New England Patriots are willing to give him. So he could end up leaving from that standpoint, and then in the bad case scenario, he ends up struggling like we saw last year, and then you just have Mac Jones ready to kind of step in and assume the role as the starting quarterback along with Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniel's system. So I think the Patriots did a pretty solid job 
obviously getting a guy, identifying who he is, and now they got to develop him. He's not overly athletic. It's a little bit against the mold from that standpoint. A lot of NFL teams are trending towards more athleticism rather than somebody who is a quote-unquote quick processor. I mean, a lot of quarterbacks are quick processors, but Mac Jones does have a quick release, gets football out of his hands, and you would assume that he would be able to adapt to this system that has a lot of advantageous routes and a lot of routes that are built off of what the defense shows you. So the quarterback's going to have to be on the same page of the wide receivers, especially when the defense, the offense change with so much motion. Sometimes the routes change based off of the motion that the offense is going to run. So you need to be able to know exactly what is going on. And that's why a lot of these quarterbacks that go through the system, obviously there hasn't been all that many, but a lot of them have to be high processors. And Mac Jones kind of fits that mold, but you would like to see somebody who's a bit more athletic. But getting Mac Jones at 15 and not trading up to get him, that has to be a win in their book. And we'll see if the Patriots found their long-term answer there at the quarterback position. But let's let's stop with the Tom Brady comparisons. That's just absolutely ridiculous. And then in the second round, they end up getting Christian Barmore, who a lot of people thought could go to the Patriots at pick 15 because Alabama, Nick Saban's the head coach, Patriots, Bill Belichick's the head coach, and they run a lot of similar concepts. And you look at the defensive front of the New England Patriots, and it's not exactly strong right now. I love the fact they brought in Davin Godshaw from Miami, and I also like Henry Anderson, who they brought in from the Jets. Montrevis Adams, somebody I liked back when he was at Auburn, but he didn't necessarily show all that much when he was there at Green Bay. Byron Cowherd was a fifth-round pick in 2019. He was really interesting. Went to the University of Auburn, ends up transferring to Maryland. I think he was the number one-ranked recruit when he came out of high school, and he's also there. But you insert Christian Barmore, and Barmore is going to be that upfield penetrator, that guy on third down that you're going to have there to make big plays and disrupt and create interior pressure. So all of these edge rushers that they have can like Ronnie Perkins, who they also drafted in the third round of this draft, can get home around the edge. And then you could just disrupt the integrity of the pocket with a guy like Christian Barmore. Now, I've heard things from people who are more in touch with the NFL than myself about Barmore's work ethic and things like that. I can't speak to any of those things, but I imagine they're sussed out well because Bill Belichick and Nick Saban are really good friends. So the fact that the Patriots were able to get Barmore in the second round, I know people who are close to the New England Patriots who write for the New England Patriots, they say that's more of a win because they were scared that Bill Belichick actually might have pulled a Dave Gettleman and drafted Barmore in the first round. So getting Barmore second round, not too bad. And then you get Ronnie Perkins in the third round. This is another player who is more of a pass rusher. He doesn't really drop into coverage, but he does a good job using his hands in a violent manner, has some good pass rush moves, can string some moves together. Some people considered him top five edge rusher in this class. I wasn't quite there, but they end up getting this player in the third round. So you pair him with last year's I want to say it was their first round pick, Josh Uche, who they have on the roster. Actually, it was his second round pick, Josh Uche, who's another different type of edge rusher, a more twitched up edge rusher than someone like Ronnie Perkins. You still have Chase Winovich. You bring back Kyle Van Noy, and now you're going to have a lot of people who can rush off the edge and then also execute those stunts and those twists that Belichick and these Patriot disciple teams <clears throat> cough off the Giants like to run quite often because you want to be really physical when you're those penetrators. You need to be agile when you're the looper on a stunt, and that's something that Josh Uche does well. And you can also see there's a lot of Michigan guys here because Patriots end up drafting Cameron McGrone in the fifth round here. You have Josh Uche on the roster. They still have Chase Winovich on this roster. And I feel like Bill Belichick, who makes a lot of these calls, obviously, he sees the 
Michigan Wolverines program. He sees Don Brown, and he knows that those players are well-coached. So he wants to bring in a lot of these guys from Alabama, from Michigan, from programs that have illustrious coaching and maybe the programs haven't been the best recently but specifically Michigan obviously because Alabama is Alabama but you know you're getting a lot of players who who have been taught the nuances of the position who have been coached well because in the NFL with all the cutbacks and the lack of practice time you would imagine that you can really get through that coaching but you would like to get a product who's already coached up on all of those things because there's not as much practice time as there used to be. There's not two-a-days. There's none of those things. All that stuff kind of went out the door back in 2011. So getting guys from programs that you trust the coaching from is obviously something the Patriots put a priority on. And that's why they land with a bunch of these edge rushers from the University of Michigan, where Don Brown does an excellent job developing a lot of those guys. Now, they also get Ramondre Stevenson in the fourth round out of Oklahoma. This is a bigger type of back. He's about 230 pounds, six foot. And I think this is actually a sneaky good addition because there were a lot of times I was watching Patriot games last year and they were struggling to pick up third and ones, fourth and ones. They were on the goal line on you know, a second and two and they would just get stuffed. I mean, most famously, we saw it against Seattle. Now, I know Cam Newton scored a couple times on that similar play, but then it ended up getting stopped on the go-ahead touchdown attempt to end the game, and it just didn't end up happening in that primetime game against the Seattle Seahawks. But you add somebody like Ramondre Stevenson, this is a different type of back, obviously, than the James Whites of the world. This is a different type of back than even a Damian Harris, who is a bigger running back, who's a physical running back. But now this is a more change-of-pace type of guy. This is a much different type of back than the 2018 edition of Sonny Michelle. But Damian Harris, he's only about like, you know, 215 pounds. Stevenson's a 230 pound back and you can kind of reserve him for these short yardage situations. So I think this was also a, a solid addition. This is also somebody who went down in the senior bowl and showed his pass blocking chops and pass blocking drills that are skewed to be advantageous for those linebackers and those safeties coming downhill. And I remember watching Stevenson and being like, wow, he's actually holding up. Him and Khalil Herbert did well, the kid from Virginia Tech, in those drills. So that was a I feel like that was a pretty solid addition for the New England Patriots there in the fourth round. A lot of people may consider it somewhat of a reach, but I uh, I don't really have a problem with that because he could fill a role that can help the team win the next season. And then they ended up rounding the draft off with Joshua Bledsoe out of Missouri, safety, William Sherman off the tackle out of Colorado, and Trey Nixon out of UCF, who was a wide receiver. I don't have much on these guys. I know Joshua Bledsoe, he's 5'11", 204 pounds. He was known more as a special teams type guy who was really, really willing to come downhill, stick people in the run as a safety. He's really good in his run fits, and you know that Bill Belichick really puts a high priority on the continuity of the defense, which I feel like every coach should, so maybe Bledsoe will end up finding the field through that, but I mean, New England has a bevy of safeties there. They still have Devin McCourty. They drafted the kid Kyle Duggar last year. Adrian Phillips is there, who used to be on the Chargers. And then they have a bunch of hybrid type of secondary guys like Jalen Mills and players like that. So that's the New England Patriots. Now let's transition quickly to the Miami Dolphins and we'll get into their draft. And, you know, they get to unite good old Jalen Waddle with Tua Tagovailoa. And I feel like the, the Dolphins had a similar plan to the Giants, and it's just basically surround your young quarterback with talent and make him feel safe to maximize what he can give you. The Giants did that with Kyle Rudolph, obviously with Kenny Galladay, and then with Kadarius Toney. Miami does this with Jalen Waddle. They get Jalen Waddle at wide receiver, and then they end up getting the other Jalen, Jalen Phillips, in the first round at edge. And I think that's an excellent addition. I mean, this kid coming out of Miami, he was my number one edge. There were 
some rumors that the Giants possibly could have even traded up to jump the Miami Dolphins who were at pick 18 with the Raiders who were at 17 but the Raiders didn't accept the trade didn't feel like it was enough and they wanted to take Alex Leatherwood there but if that's true I mean I mean you only would have dropped back three spots so maybe they thought that Miami was interested in Alex Leatherwood but if that did happen <laughs> the draft would have been totally different because Giants would have ended up going with Jalen Phillips there but who knows what's true anyways getting a combination of Jalen Waddle and Jalen Phillips is excellent because Jalen Phillips can do so many different things for this Brian Flores defense. He can do so many different things. And then Jalen Waddle paired with Will Fuller, who they added in free agency, Devontae Parker, who they still had add. You have that big body X type receiver. You have two speedsters who could take the top off the defense, stretch the field vertically and horizontally. I mean, you're surrounding Tua with just a bunch of different people. And I thought a really interesting addition was the Boston College kid Hunter Long in the third round. And I think that because Think about all the tight ends the Miami Dolphins have added over the years. I mean, they drafted Mike Gesicki in the second round of 2018, and then they doubled down in that same draft and drafted Durham Smythe in the fourth round, bringing Adam Shaheen last year, and then they signed Seathan Carter from the Cincinnati Bengals to a three-year deal this offseason. I mean, that's a lot of tight ends, and I mean, we know Brian Flores comes from the New England tree and you know new england they want to get back to what they were doing back in the 2010s with hernandez and gronkowski because they went and they signed johnny smith and they went and they signed hunter henry so they really added tight ends and now you look at what the miami dolphins and brian flores are doing here i mean you got Kasicki, you got Hunter Long, you got Adam Shaheen, you got Durham Smythe, you got Stephen Carter and all these guys end up seeing the field a lot of 12 personnel a lot of heavy personnel packages and it's also really good at for Miles Gaskin and Salvin Ahmad that the Dolphins didn't draft a running back until Jared Dokes out of Cincinnati and that was a seventh round pick so they didn't invest heavily into that position and they may have remember Denver traded to jump the Dolphins back in the second round to select Javante Williams who would have been an excellent fit for this system that would have been a great combination someone Tua would have loved as well because he's one of the most physical running backs and we all remember what Javante Williams did against the University of Miami and maybe this coaching staff was watching that game as well but I thought it was uh, interesting and then two more picks just to get away from day three and go back into day two they're two second round picks they went with Javon Holland a 2020 opt-out Safety who can drop down and play the slot. Good size, six foot one, two hundred and seven pounds, out of the University of Oregon. Now I think this is an interesting pick because, man, the Miami Dolphins are really building up that secondary. We know they have Zayvon Howard, who they signed to a big deal. We know they brought in Byron Jones from the Dallas Cowboys, another guy they signed to a massive deal, a bigger deal than Zayvon Howard. They had two of the most expensive cornerback contracts on their roster for a little while. And then they, that same year, in 2020, selected Noah Igbenogany out of the University of Auburn in the first round. So you add Javon Holland to this to help play safety, can also drop down into the slide. You, you have a pretty formidable safety and cornerback group here. You also bring in Jason McCourty in free agency. Still have Nick Needham, who actually served a solid role for them last year. Still have Eric Rowe. You have Brandon Jones. There's a lot of bodies there that can that can fill a lot of different roles for Brian Flores and Josh Boyer, their defensive coordinator. So I thought the Javon Holland pick, they ended up selecting him, making him the first safety over the off the board over TCU's Trayvon Morig. I think that's an interesting selection of an instinctual player who may have went higher if he actually ended up playing in 2020. So I give a lot of credit to the Dolphins for still upgrading what seems to already be a strength for them, even though I would say Eric Rowe is a player that you want to upgrade over. But that secondary is is talented. 
Okay, it's very, very talented, and they were able to get that prime edge rusher who's going to be their number one edge rusher now in Jalen Phillips. You were able to do that in the first round, and you're just building that defense that was really, really good last year, created a lot of turnovers, and I know that doesn't always translate to the next year, but you're able to build that defense and kind of take it to the next level with the addition of Jalen Phillips and Javon Holland. And then with their other second round pick, just shortly after, about six picks later, they get Notre Dame tackle Liam Eichenberg. Now, Eichenberg doesn't have the length measurables a lot of people would want. I want to say he's in like the fifth percentile for arm length, but he's just a solid tackle. He's a tackle who always gets to his set point. He's not overly athletic, but he frames his blocks excellently, takes good angles to his blocks, and he's looking like he could probably kick inside and play guard, so the length won't matter all that much. I mean, you drafted Austin Jackson in the first round last year to play your left tackle. You have Robert Hunt, who you're possibly going to kick inside as well. He played right tackle for you last year, but you got rid of Eric Flowers. So there's a little bit of a hole at left guard now. So you could slide Liam Eikenberg into that place, or you can even try him out at right tackle if you want to do that. But I think just adding more talent, really good football players to that offensive line is another way to help Tua. Now it's on Tua to maximize the weapons and also get the most out of this offense because there is no more Ryan Fitzpatrick on this roster to step in when Tua Tungabailoa is struggling. And this roster is a really good roster. They have a great head coach and they're, they're waiting to take that next step in a division that is pretty competitive outside of the New York Jets. I mean, you can't write off Bill Belichick and the Patriots, and we know what the Bills are right now. They're a really good football team. So I feel like the Dolphins actually ended up having a pretty good draft. They also traded with the Giants, so maybe the Giant fans should be hoping that they end up lose a little bit, losing some of these games, so then the Giants can end up getting a higher pick. But Jalen Waddle, Jalen Phillips, Javon Holland, Liam Eikenberg, Hunter Long, and then they also ended up getting Larnell Coleman. I don't really know anything about him. And then Jared Dokes in the seventh round. So that's the AFC, so. And I just wanted to quickly go through these. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Please rate, subscribe, and review this podcast and check out all of our work over at Big Blue View. Myself, Joe DiDione, Chris Flum, Ed Valentine, among many others, are doing some excellent work over there. So please check us out. And then also just have a lovely day. Take care, everybody, and be well.